0: Hello friends, and welcome to another Brew Theology Podcast. My name is Ryan Miller, and on today's episode, we have titled this, Living Buddha, Living Christ. If you've wondered why you heard that before, we've stolen that title based on a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, a monk who has done pretty amazing and incredible things throughout the world uh, relating to dialogue within different interfaith and interreligious groups, this book in particular and this conversation that we're going to be having really is about looking at the commonalities, even though there are nuances and particularities that we could, he believes that dialogue is really the key to peace. And this is, this is actually my heartbeat. This is f- for me, what's changed me personally. I think probably within the last two years specifically, my heart has grown to love people more mainly because I've been able to due to our community of this brew theology community that we have in Denver. Uh, to engage a world of differences and to do so with an open heart and an open mind and a a spirit that's actually willing to learn in differences. And so this is the pluralistic world that we live in. And I think that what makes this monk a tremendous asset in our world and what we can learn from him and his words are, um, are that, you know what, you can still hold on to what you think is true, try to find commonality and maybe gain some wisdom from somebody from a different tribe. And so Here's a quote. I'm going to leave this here and then we're going to dive into the conversation. He says that different religious traditions can engage in dialogue with one another in a true spirit of ecumenicism. Dialogue can be fruitful and enriching if both sides are truly open, if they really believe that they are valuable elements in each other's tradition and that they can learn from one another. They will also rediscover. Many valuable aspects of their own tradition through such an encounter. Peace will be a beautiful flower blooming on this field of practice. I love that the word peace in Hebrew is shalom. And I think uh, that is the greater goal in our world. If we can begin to dialogue well. I encourage you not only to listen to this episode. If you like the episode, great. Make sure you give us a review on iTunes and all that jazz. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology, Also Twitter, Brew Theology. But more importantly, if you like what you're hearing and what you're... Uh, there's a possibility within you that's stirring that's saying, maybe I could do this in my own community. Maybe with a team of people. Maybe with some friends or I know some people who could do this. This is the vision. This is the goal. And for us, this isn't about building an empire. This isn't about money. This truly is about a movement that I think can change your community, can change your city, and hopefully can change the world around us. So head over to brewtheology.org. If you are interested at all in partnering with us, look at the different levels of partnerships. If you have questions about that, you can always email me at ryan at brewtheology.org. Uh, also, if, uh, if you want to support us, if you want to be a, a monthly supporter or a one-time giver, you can go to the donate page and you can click on that and you can give toward the work that we're doing on the podcast here in Denver and trying to get these communities up and running uh, in 2017. All right, guys, uh, hang in there. Enjoy the episode. It's a fun one and I will see you on the other side. Peace.
1: Welcome, listeners, to the Brew Theology podcast recording. Um, I'm Liz, your faithful facilitator for this evening's discussion, which is a topic um, near and dear to my heart Uh, living Buddha, living Christ. And I'm here with three of my very dear uh, Brew Theology friends. Um, I'll go ahead and introduce myself and I'll let them introduce themselves to you. So I'm Liz, and uh, although I was a devout and practicing Christian until I was 17, I later uh, became an atheist, that um, happened pretty rapidly, and then I discovered I wasn't really an atheist, I was more of a secular humanist and was looking for some spiritual path, um, a spiritual path forward, and um, started hanging out with a lot of really fun Christians, and by the end of my time, um, learning from them, I decided, yeah, I'm really a Buddhist. Um, So I've been a practicing Buddhist ever since, and um, sometimes uh, I'm one of the few Buddhists um, in our gatherings. Um, So yeah, that's enough about me. Who wants to go next?
2: Hi, I am Dylan. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist, and that one really didn't work out for me, Uh, but I eventually left the Baptist church for a little while and was completely out of of church, I didn't exactly lose my religion, but I was out of church for several months and then uh, ended up visiting a an Episcopal church, which really worked out well for me. I have always enjoyed that particular church. Um, and I am drinking, by the way, a Pretzel Assassin beer from Denver Beer Company.
1: Oh, thanks, Dylan. I'm actually drinking a one of those fruity San Pellegrino sodas. It's pretty awesome. But
0: <laughs> I'm Ryan, and I'm drinking a Platte Park IPA, the color... It's something color. It's not. It's like Colorado, but it has a color something to it. Oh. I forgot the name. I'm sorry, Platt Park. We love you guys. I grew up <laughs> Southern Baptist like Dylan in Texas, and probably a different religious experience, but yet very similar, because Southern Baptists are very similar. And about 18 to 20 years after that, after they gave me my start in ministry, I decided that I think, I thought that, and I do think that women should preach and teach, and so we left uh, the Baptist Church because of that. Over the years, I've gleaned from the Anabaptist tradition, which is the roots of the Baptist Church, the Methodist, the Pentecostals, and uh, the Jewish traditions, and also a little open and relational process philosophy over the last four years. So now I am a pro-evolving Anabaptist Methodist pentecostal follower of Jesus with a big tent of love. Thanks, Ryan. There's that. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I'm Kelly O'Brien. I've been a United Methodist since the Methodists United back in 1968. I've attended congregation for years, but have recently moved and not currently active in a congregation, but looking at a way to continue worship and expand worship. And so I've enjoyed attending uh, pub theology. Yeah, we're glad to have you.
1: Back in late 2015, we decided that uh, we were going to try to discuss Thich Nhat Hanh's famous book, Living Buddha, Living Christ. Um, For those of you that don't know Thich Nhat Hanh, he is a, an ordained um, Vietnamese Buddhist monk who was extremely active in a social justice form of Buddhism in Vietnam. When he came to Europe and the United States, he uh, he was, uh, his with the political contentiousness of the Vietnam War, which was, you know, the, the U.S. conflict was just starting in the mid-60s which was right about the same time that he was becoming socially active and internationally known. He um, was famous for um, his work with uh, ecumenical dialogue and this sort of um, social justice engaged Buddhism. When he came to the United States, um, he was then barred from coming back to Vietnam. Um, Thomas Merton, the famous um, Trappist um, American monk, really vouched for him. Um, He became friends with uh, Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh was one of the first people, or was famous for having tried to persuade Martin Luther King to take a very strong anti-war stance, which I know he then later adopted as part of his sort of um, social justice platform. Martin Luther King then nominated Thich Nhat Hanh um, for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1967. Um, the Peace Prize was not awarded that year, but um, he, Thich Nhat Hanh has gone down as being a notable um, nominee for that award. Um, since that time, he's um, gone on to do a lot of ecumenical work. In some ways, even though he's Vietnamese, he's a quintessential American Buddhist in that he combines Zen practices with Theravadic practices, with you know a smattering of Buddhism from this part of the world and that part of the world, and he's been incredibly influential in... American Buddhist thought. He's a writer. You, you've probably seen his books on the shelf. And one of the books he wrote is this great, really slim volume called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And it's talking about that if you look at Buddhism a certain way and you look at Christianity a certain way, isn't it funny how they have a lot to say to each other? And isn't it interesting that? Um, the two things can relate and I think that's interesting for uh, interesting dialogue for Americans to have. so I then passed my that book off to my friend Ryan Miller who had a chance to read it and I was gonna ask him um, and I know we talked a little bit Kelly you have not read the book Correct. right and Dylan have you had a chance to read yep. it? Okay so but Ryan, would you mind sharing a little bit like what your thoughts were and um, when you when you read it and what you came away with as a Christian?
0: yeah so I think my first thought was that this guy really understands Christianity. Uh, he might not understand the version of Christianity that some people out there have. There are different brands and models, and obviously, how many how many denominations do we have? Thousands upon thousands 000. upon thousands, <laughs> but. He's done his research, and so for me, it was. I think it was helpful because uh, realizing that we live in a pluralistic world, that we live in a time such as this in the West, where there are people who, and, and we live in, Denver is a place where I think uh, Buddhism is not huge, obviously, in our country, but Denver is actually one of the cities where it's most practiced, and even in our neighborhood where really? we live. Yeah, it is. Oh, I didn't yeah, know. Even in our neighborhood where we live. There are a lot of people who are into Buddhism. And even be, probably because my friend Liz is into Buddhism, I go, hey, I t- it took a class in college as a religion major, but it was mostly uh, a Christian-focused Apologetic kind of way of looking at Buddhism,
1: meaning like understand Buddhism <clears throat> so that you can refute Buddhism as a Christian. Is that that's what apologetic? Means? Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: Eventually, eventually that was kind of the goal of that. I mean, I would say that the class was a good class. It was Eastern religions, but I mean, ultimately, as a college student, we weren't cons- we weren't constraining ourselves to really understand the other for the sake of what you have to offer the world. It was let me understand you so that I could then oh, now I can outsmart you and that you to bring you to my side. Mm-hmm. So this book, I think he does a good job of not doing that with his side or the other side. He really says, here, here you know these are two, two faiths um, and there's some common ground here. And, uh, and, I, and I, for me, I, I found that to be really helpful because I go, how come Liz and I, while we believe in different things, we have a lot of the same values? Imagine that.
1: Imagine that. And I had, <laughs> so I had,
0: I had somebody years ago ask me, you know, you think if Jesus was around today, he'd be a Buddhist. And I said, no, and I would still say no, he'd be a Jew, because there's a difference between Judaism, and I don't think he'd be a Christian, obviously, because he's a Jew. Uh, but no, he wouldn't be a Buddhist, but I think that there are teachings in, uh, in Buddhism that are outlined in this book, and in um, some of these writings here that we're, we'll talk about tonight, um, that I would say are Christian. Yeah, that Christ would say, he wouldn't say amen, whatever he'd say, hallel, hallel, he'd yeah, say amen. Hey,
1: Hallelujah, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So for the two other folks around the table who haven't read the book, but we've, um, so as part of the original pub discussion, I had put together kind of a compare and contrast between the two historical figures of, you know, Jesus of Nazarene and um, Siddhartha Gautama, the, the, the dude living in India who went on to become the Buddha, while, you know, Jesus of Nazarene went on to become the Christ. And so when you talk about living Buddha, living Christ, you can talk about the two historical figures. And then you can also talk about who they became after their death and the kind of principles and spiritual embodiment they became, you know, as the religion became more of a thing. But um, what did you guys see on, on in this, this this table, this compare and contrast thing that may have surprised you or not, um, about, you know, based on what you already knew about Buddhism and Christianity or something you didn't
3: know? One thing that I'd always heard growing up Christian is... Uh, we mentioned social justice, the work of social justice. And I've always considered that something that Christians were called to be good at, were supposed to be good at. And someone said one time, well, you don't see universities started by Buddhists, or you don't see necessarily big charities started by, by Buddhists. They're, they're practicing and doing their, their Buddhist thing, but not necessarily having that good works or social justice or reaching out. And yet, as we look through here, that was mentioned, you know, several times, and many times in there, and the, the part of the being a Buddhist was not only being kind, but even beyond in the good works to other people. And to me, that was, that, that it just wasn't what I'd heard before, and I thought it was important to know.
1: So I think that's really interesting and you know as I was doing research on, um, on Thich Nhat Hanh I, and I was looking at engaged Buddhism or humanistic Buddhism and I think that there is some evolution of Buddhist thinking with some of the influence of the West that you hear the Dalai Lama saying I think Buddhism gains a lot from being in contact with Christianity because then you get people like Thich Nhat Hanh or people in the humanistic Buddhist movement in Asia and of course in the United States who are saying it's essential to reach out and try to alleviate suffering I mean Buddhism is all about there is suffering, what causes suffering, and how do you move through suffering to something else? And so I think the you know there there's good sort of theological, if you will, backing for Buddhists to try to alleviate suffering, but that's not always how it's been practiced. And so there you go. I mean that's Christianity influencing,
0: influencing. So, let's talk Buddhism. about the, yeah. the, the suffering. So because there's maybe different thoughts ranges of thought within buddhism and christianity so suffering is uh, as a christian it seems to be that jesus says pick up your cross follow me and you know a mustard seed has to die for it to grow up okay you see him he, he is crucified he doesn't you know put people on crosses he puts himself on the cross and then you have the suffering in Buddha, buddhism as well and so you don't try to transcend suffering Because even in the life of living as a Christian, you go, no, no, suffering is a part of this world. Like even Jesus says that you're going to have trouble in this world. Take heart. I've overcome the world. But he doesn't say I've overcome it with, you know, guns and knives and, you know, my muscles and all the the things that we think, you know, "Ah, I'm a a powerful God. No, it's (laughs) you're going to have a hard time in this world. So how, how do you live in that? And then he calls that Jesus says this is the kingdom of heaven on earth. It doesn't mean that it's perfect and there's no suffering that there is a kingdom within the suffering. And I think there, there is an element of Buddhism that says the same thing, that you don't try to like dismiss the suffering. But the, and they wouldn't call it the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, but it's very similar. It is,
1: it is similar. And this is one of those places, and I think as a group I'd like to talk a little bit about what do we gain and what do we lose when we start to compare and contrast between faiths. But yes, I think it's one of these things where it's a translatable concept between the two, um, so I think that's really interesting. I think if I was going to translate that into into Buddha speak, okay. Buddha speak, the idea would be that the goal is to transcend suffering, but it's not to transcend pain, and it's not to transcend the difficulties that come with the fact that everything's changing all the time. So right. especially when it comes to the human condition, I mean, that was like the big moment for Siddhartha Gautama. He was extremely, extremely sheltered and he was young and beautiful and he was born like the smartest, wisest, bestest person in his whole kingdom when he was just straight out of the womb, you know, but he was completely sheltered from any suffering, any change, you know? And, and as soon as he saw like, Oh my, he went outside of the palace walls and he saw, You know, oh, my God, people get sick, they get old, and they die. And he had no concept until he was, like, 30 years old that these things existed at all. So the idea is that we live in a world that's full of pain, and that pain comes from the way we think about our experience and just the fact that we experience things that are really unpleasant, like illness, aging, death, specifically. So, you know, but the idea is that you don't overcome these things by, you know, Beating yeah. them down, or violence, yeah. or strength, or anything like that. You so you where, actually.
0: So the where is the life in in the pain? The pain is. That's right. Yeah. So there, that's the question. That's right. But where do you find real love? That's that's this radical yeah. rooted love that we all can experience. Where can you find strange joy? Because it's not it's not you're not happy. It's not you know? happiness. No, no, no. no, it's
1: not like <laughs> but
0: There's like you know, yeah. even people who who have cancer. There, uh, there's an element of that. It's horrible. It's painful. And we've seen a friend just recently die of cancer. But this person at the end of their life was experiencing joy, even though it was really shitty, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, joy with their family and friends around them.
1: Yeah. And I'd say that's probably a very Buddhist thing. I mean, the idea, the concept is that you transcend suffering by actually fully embracing your experience of the moment and coming to grips with it. And not letting it kind of
3: give you a disproportionate sense of, of what's going on. I you know, this was years ago, and I was hearing from a it was an American friend who was a recently had become Buddhist. And I did a presentation on domestic violence, and he said, "Well, you know, obviously the in this case was the man shouldn't be beating up his wife." He said. But then he said, but she's suffering because she doesn't want to be beat up. And if she just let go of not wanting to be beat up, if she let go of this, then she wouldn't be suffering anymore. And to me, that was a strange, unsophisticated Buddhist thing to say. I mean, if it was Buddhist, it was just very strange. And I always wanted to address that with the Buddhist
1: oh, Well, I, I don't hope to like speak for Buddhists all over the place, but... <laughs> well, I speak for
0: Christians everywhere, Liz, Yeah, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, so let's. So I guess I think there are some Christians who think who have this idea that Buddhists get beyond suffering by not caring about things, by letting go of the caring about things. I think the idea is
1: that you you care a lot, but you also try. So okay, so I think what I've read that addresses this directly is that there's such a thing as like. Compassion, and then there's like idiot compassion. So, and sometimes Buddhists will use like karma as a way of practicing idiot compassion, which isn't compassion at all. So, so in that instance, someone could say, well, you know, he's suffering, and so he's beating her, and she's suffering. Well, it must have been because they did really stupid stuff in their past lives, and they kind of deserve it. And that this idea of like we're gonna distance from what's going on. And I don't think the idea is apathy either. It's not, it's being awake and alive and very much engaged, but it's also being honest about what's going on, clear-sighted, and acknowledging that suffering happens and we perpetrate it on each other. And so that's not to, I mean, you can, and you can accept that that's a reality without saying she should stay and just accept it. I mean, there's acceptance and there's acceptance. Yeah. You know, there's accepting it as being real and there's saying, I can't do anything about it. Well, she can. Um, and But the complicated thing, of course, about domestic violence is that there are a lot of people in those situations who do choose to stay. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe they do have to achieve some sort of level of mindfulness, you know, and the kind of harm reduction techniques in their partnerships and that kind of stuff. Like... I acknowledge that my husband or whomever periodically gets so enraged that he needs to to beat me. So I'm just going to avoid those times when he gets enraged because I can't not live with him. So that is a hard and complicated thing mm-hmm. to kind of get at.
2: I feel like there are kind of two different mindsets that between Christianity and Buddhism on this. On the Christian side of things, you often see a couple of different trains of thought, either it's um, that person is suffering because they have the wrath of God on them, or it's that person is suffering because they are just such good people and God calls us to suffer, right? And so, I, I unfortunately, I kind of find both of those mindsets to be not very good for the world. Whereas if you look at the Buddhist train of thought on that, it seems to be more like uh, let's let's overcome this pain in order that we can be a better influence on the world through our experiences of it uh, or something like that, which seems to be much more positive and forward-moving to me.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's that kind of idiot compassion in Christianity too, kind of like what you were saying, or um, yeah, that kind of take up the cross or... Um or what's the, what's the good one? Like, you're such a good person that the, the devil is actually attracted to you, and mm-hmm. he's trying to, like, yeah. get you down so that you become evil. <laughs> like, there's lots of justifications that I feel like people come up with for, I
0: think it's, one, it's one thing to, like, that there, there is suffering, so we all, we all accept that reality in the world that we live in. Everybody can say, yes, that's true. There's pain, there's evil, there's suffering. You might not call it evil, but you can call it whatever you want to call it. And then there's the kind that's I'm going to seek this out so to, to be this martyred figure and like no, that's I don't think that's I don't think that's healthy and I don't I don't even think that's biblical. I'm going to seek this out in order for self-flagellation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and the same thing like um, Herman Hesse actually wrote a great book about Buddhism and and I think it reflects the stories that you see in Scripture about the Buddha, which is that he was coming out of a Hindu world and so in the Hindu world when you wanted to go be religious, you went out into the forest and you walked around naked and, you know, ate nothing but leaves and slept in the outdoors to try to escape from self and become a holy, refined, purified person who didn't have suffering anymore and who didn't... And his... What was radical about him was that he was coming back to the middle way, you know. So he wasn't a prince anymore and he wasn't shielding so himself. So him being Buddha, in this
3: case, Buddha was coming back to the middle way.
1: Yes, yeah, so his revelation in himself was, I'm not going to live the decadent priestly life where I pretend like suffering doesn't exist. But I'm also not going to go to the other extreme where I do suffering for the sake of suffering so that I can quote-unquote become pure and also quote-unquote escape from suffering. It's the middle way between not excess and not deprivation. You know, in fact, he. you know, he died from food poisoning. I mean, he was like eating meat and doing all the things that like priests were not supposed to do because Mm -hmm. he was saying it's the middle way. It's, you know, um, not suppressing your emotions, but not necessarily acting out to the point where you're lusting after people or you're hurting people because you're so caught up in your emotions. It's not repressing thoughts, but it's also not believing
3: all of your thoughts. It's the middle way, something in the middle. I, I like that. To me, that's very—that's how I see Jesus. Yeah, say about, say more about that. Just, I mean, in in the middle. Then, and I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to come up with scriptures. But he even talks about things. You know, you've got to be wise.
0: Wise as a serpent, as innocent a serpent. as a dove. Yeah,
3: don't you know? Give into foolish things. People are going to try to take you, and people are going to try to fool you. But then, don't the other way. I mean, you don't. You, you're not over people. You don't take people in, you're not trying to fool people. It was, that, it was that middle way. And to me, those are very much the same. And he was kind of also
1: walking that middle path, too, between yes. saying, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew, but I am no longer going to do this the way that Judaism is done either, but I'm also not a Roman. Right. I'm something else. I'm, I'm not Judas Maccabee, but I'm not... Whatever the alternative is, there either you know what I mean.
0: It's yeah. funny we we think of this now in hindsight, and we we say middle, but at the time it wouldn't have been considered middle. It would have been it would have been considered. We would use the word radical. I mean, we would say this would be fringe. Like, what is Jesus right. doing? What is this Buddha guy doing? They they're doing things that no one's ever done before.
1: Well, it's kind of it's kind of the harder thing to do. Wouldn't it be easier to live in the palace your whole life, or wouldn't it be easier to start? Mm-hmm. Taken down the establishment with yeah.
3: you know, and I still think of Jesus. I think of Jesus still as as friend. Or if you're leading leaving Christian life, you are friend. You of the yeah. world, but not in the world. But not in the world. Yeah. And yet, but it's by being the middle. I think this is our human nature. We want to be something. We're drawn somewhere mm-hmm. to one side or the other. And those who can walk in the middle, who feel compassion for people on both sides, who mm. can be true to themselves and yet still be open to everybody else.
0: So I have a question about this. I would, I would personally consider, and you could disagree with me, that what we do on a weekly basis, not just the podcast, but in the community in Denver, is pretty middle. And then you could have people on the outside looking in saying, yeah, it's middle, but that's, that's watered down. That's not real faith. You're not really being a Christian there. You could have people who would say that. Not saying that I have or I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> people who might not get it because it just seems too middle. You're trying to be all things to all people. You, you're friends with a Buddhist and an agnostic and you, you know different kinds of Christians, people who are straight and who are not, and yada, 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 yada. You know what I'm saying? Well. So,
2: so my Southern Baptist preacher would have called that, uh, what do you call it? Lukewarm. Bu- buffet faith. You can just go uh, out and pick what you want. Take little Yeah. And kind of mi- mismatch whatever you want to. And I don't think that that's really, you know, what, when you try to understand someone else, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose your own faith. Right. You may find a deeper understanding of it. And that's the point that I've made a thousand times mm-hmm. at Brute Theology you know, whenever we're talking and introducing ourselves to new people, I always say, you know, I am here because uh, I was raised in a faith that kind of taught me that my faith would be broken if I wasn't very careful, and, and now I've kind of found that my faith is not so easy to break after all, mm-hmm. so I'd much rather learn from all sides, and what I find is that it actually becomes much stronger as I start learning other ideals and realizing that that doesn't mean by accepting their train of thought, it doesn't mean that mine
0: has to be completely wrong. Yes. Can I throw a, a, a tick quote in here? Can yeah. I tick, Mr. Tick. <laughs> <laughs> tick
1: is actually I have discovered an, a title. Yeah. Not Han is his name. Oh. So it's like okay. like none. It's like his name's like monk, not Han.
0: Tick uh, means... Yeah, anyway, sorry. Mr. Tick. I'll just call Mr. <laughs> tick if you're listening right now. And he says, We have to appreciate that truth can be received from outside of, not only within, our own group. If we do not believe that, entering into dialogue would be a waste of time. If we think we monopolize the truth and we still organize a dialogue, it is not authentic. We have to believe that by engaging in dialogue with the other person, we have the possibility of making a change within ourselves that we can become deeper. Dialogue is not a means for assimilation in the sense that one side expands and incorporates the other into itself. Dialogue must be practiced on the basis of non-self. We have to allow what is good, beautiful, and meaningful in the other's tradition to transform us.
1: What I like in there is that there's this certain level, there's this notion of egolessness, so this idea of like the limited, foolish attached delusional self you know what I mean if you can let that go for just a little bit and you can let something else in then that's true dialogue and that's true meaning I feel like Jesus is all about the lack of ego about transcending the the limited self in favor Mm -hmm. of the capital S self
0: Mm. so do you think if more of his followers were like that that his followers would not have the rep that they have As somebody who's not a Christian, I'm just curious. Well, someone who is a Christian, I'll say yes. (laughs) That that is true. Because
3: that still takes, I mean, you're giving up, you're letting go of this ego, and that takes the strength. That's not the the wishy-washy middle that people see it as. That is a very grounded, intentional
0: thing to do. But I I've heard people say that that is that that middle that we're speaking of mm-hmm. that it is wishy washy that it is mm-hmm. lukewarm that it is all these things that maybe whether it's pastors or friends have told us and, no. and and I feel like there's a part of me that when I first hear that I go Am I doing this thing right And I go No, no this this feels right mm-hmm. Seems right And I uh, it's almost like you have to you have to go back to the Gospels and look at mm-hmm. Jesus as a Christian because mm-hmm. the world in his name screams so much louder than the person in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. You know, I would kind of argue that
2: point that being in the middle is wishy-washy just by saying mm-hmm. that w- when I've been on the radical end of things, when I grew up as a Southern Baptist, I was often kind of put in a position where I feel like evangelically we were supposed to coax people. We were supposed to grab them and by any means necessary and drag them kicking and screaming into our side, you know, and <clears throat> at that point, Is that real faith? Or is the person who can come into a group like this and not lose their faith having a stronger faith? That's what I would challenge uh, on that one.
1: Well, and I think, to add to what Dylan's saying too, I think there, where I see wishy, well, okay, so I struggle with this. (laughs) There is something to be said for picking your boat and letting, and staying with a real boat that you have picked and let it take you through your life down the river. I mean, you can find, and I think that's what's interesting about living Buddha, living Christ, and that gives me something to think about, which is this idea of, you know, well, there's, there's good, true things, and there's truth in every religion, and when you start to get more esoteric, so you look at, so Thich Nhat Hanh was saying mystical Christianity, so the Christianity that was practiced before Constantine By some people where it's really about the embodiment of the spirit of the Christ and all of this stuff is really similar to the more esoteric practices of Buddhism, which I would say are really similar to the esoteric practices of Kabbalah and are really similar to the esoteric practices in like Sufi Islam. You start to get like the same thing, like everything is everything and, you know, love and the middle way is really the way to go. At the same time, in some ways, you can't get at the heart of those esoteric practices unless you pick one of them. Like, mm. you kind of got to, like, come through Sufism through Islam, through the words of the Prophet Muhammad. You have to kind of come to the Christ through the Gospels. I mean, we get at the same place, but you got to, I feel like, you got to kind of...
0: So does this does yeah. this come back to, got to go to church, Liz, Dylan... Kelly, you got to get in there Sunday morning because those are the people who do these very specific things. You're not going to, you're not going to, you might have a Sunday where you bring in some teachings of a few quotes from a Buddhist, you know, for the most part, you're going to take communion you're going to have a testimony. You're going to read the scripture. You're going to sing some songs and it's going to be very Christocentric. You're going to get the same thing in a Jewish temple. You're going to get Judaism, right? So I... There's a part of me that goes, well, okay. So that, I, th- I think you're, I think you're onto something. I think you're right. I, there's something about you even, you know, you go back to I'm going to get biblical here, and Paul talks about, you know, don't stop meeting. Don't, you know, some people quit gathering. He's like, come on back to the fold. It strengthens you. Mm-hmm. But what if it strengthens you in the wrong way? Well, and because there's a strengthening that I think you do need with community that's like-minded. Yes. But what if that like-minded community that strengthens you makes you what the world now sees Christianity to be, for instance. of you know. well,
3: That's always a risk. You yeah. have to have a base, though. You have to have a strong mm-hmm. base. And you can't branch out. A tree can't branch out until it's got strong roots. And in mm-hmm. raising children, if you're raising children, if you want them to have no idea what they are or want to be, take them to a bunch of different churches and faiths all over and then tell them to pick.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And they, they, they don't know that doesn't work. Or you take them to where you go, to what works, to your practice. They see that, and then you've also given them the ability to question, the ability to compare, the ability to look. And then they've had their strong base, and they'll pick from there. Yeah. And may go different ways. And so, yes, we need to be, I mean, at some point, we need to be Christian. We need to be Muslim. We need to be Hindu. So we need to, but then we grow or change or get comfortable in that in a way that doesn't hurt other people or leave out other people
1: yeah cuz there's a lot to any given religion or faith mm-hmm. practice and the super not i don't want to say superficial but the entry level teachings can benefit anyone but when you start getting down into mm-hmm. it you know what i mean like like the 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 secondary tertiary random buddhist scriptures are really deep and you get into some of these practices of buddhism and they are very esoteric Mm -hmm. you know you talk about tantric tibetan buddhism you know and it is it is specific and it is lineage based and it is weird and they use i'm sorry to any tibetan buddhist other it's weird to someone who is not completely devoted to the practice there may be benefit to it but there again, it comes from a long, deep commitment and a lot of discipline and devotion.
2: So, just, I was just thinking, so, you know, we have Jesus in Christianity who is God. So, he's infallible, right? The Buddha is not technically God. He's just a teacher, a very well-respected teacher. So, how does that change the outlook of, of faith to a Buddhist and, and the teachings of the Buddha as opposed to the teachings of the Christ?
1: So I think there's a couple of answers to it. So if you, if you read the Buddhist stories, the very basic Buddhist stories is that um, Siddhartha became the Buddha when he had essentially a um, 100% transcendental experience. So at that point, he was still a human, but he had been a human for whom all boundaries between him and all living things had been erased. And so he could see past, he could see future, he could see how at any, every point every single living creature had at one point been him in a past life or would be him in a future life. Basically all boundaries got erased and he became, as the joke goes, one with everything. What does the Buddha say when he comes to the hot dog stand? Make me one with everything. <laughs> like, I mean that's the, that's the myth, that's the story, is that he transcended everything. And so he was, he was human, but he wasn't human anymore in some ways. And then you get into the really esoteric Buddhism or the more esoteric Buddhism where you talk about, you know, so then the Buddha goes on and he's also been reborn as a saint and then he was later reborn as something you might call a god who lives in a heavenly realm. Infinite numbers of lotus lotuses with infinite numbers of bodhisattvas dancing around infinite numbers of jeweled trees. I mean, it is like this grand and beautiful vision and where... And that's, you know, I think a um, depiction for human minds of what it might be like to transcend all boundaries in space and time. You know, um, but so, but that seems very much like Godness and it seems very much like heaven. You know, it's,
3: it's, so, yeah. I also want to touch back on that. You, you, you said the statement that Jesus is God. Mm. Do, to be a Christian, do you have to believe that? Because there's, we talked, we touched on earlier the the Christology. There's some people very high Christology that Christ is God, and yet there are other people who identify as Christians who don't have that as strongly. And you talk about Jesus was all human or all God, but was are there some of us who can believe that maybe Jesus was more human? That I
2: would find. Personally, I would say that that would be against the basic tenets of Christianity, and to to say that you are a follower of Jesus, but that Jesus wasn't actually, indeed, God, that that would be a different religion altogether.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and that is actually basically what uh, Islam believes is that you know Jesus was a prophet that he wasn't actually God. So that might go down
0: that vein a little bit so, so Jesus makes two claims well he makes many claims the two specific ones that most people are aware of son of God which really every Jew would have said son of God because we're all sons of God and Jesus even makes that remark too that you're all sons of gods. and, and then David even, well going back to, the, to David oh, the king he talks about how we're all gods he, Dave, the king David's a heretic you know, <laughs> but he doesn't mean it in the way in which we would think gods and then uh, he says son of man I'm the son of man. Now that's more interesting because that is a messianic title. So the messianic um, statement of Christ, and I've talked, so let's talk Christology just a bit because since we're doing living Buddha, living Christ, so the Christology uh, of the tangible earthy stuff, you have a first century Jewish rabbi leading some movement who talks to the father, goes to Abba, calls him Abba daddy and uh, retreats and prays. And he says, I'm one with this Abba, this Father. He says this in the Gospel of John, according to, to, to those words. And then he says to his disciples, this has always blown my mind. I'm one with the Father. Father's one with me. You are one with me. Now, right, I'm going to wash some feet. Okay, really, really earthy stuff. He's washing <laughs> feet and then when he's breaking bread. And then he says, uh, do this. Do what I'm doing. And then you're going to do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So... These now sons of God, who are followers of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, okay, are now going to do greater things because they are now one with the Father because Jesus is one with the Father. So there is a all kind of encompassing dance, this beyond a Trinitarian dance, because that's Trinitarian came later. Mm-hmm. That's, that's those are later words, but um, that's the language that we have. We have, we have we transcend the Trinitarian dance to now put the self. In that. So then this, now, now I'm going to try to move this into to Buddhism now. Can I talk
1: so, about Sikhism for a sec too when you're done?
0: Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, because because there, is an, there is an element of the se- of the self, right, that is, that is rooted in something beyond yourself. Yes. In, in Buddhism as well.
1: The capital S self.
0: Now, now go back to Dylan, Dylan's words though. The claims that Jesus makes, whether Jesus says he's God or not, I mean there's debate about that. Jesus does, there is a deity in, in that story. There is there. I mean, Jews believe in God. Yod hey vav However you say that, I don't know. Buddhists, there's no God. There are yeah. No, but there's. there is. But there is. You're oh,
1: saying yeah. oh there
0: is. Okay. Yeah there are. So, yeah yeah. Uh, and uh, so then does it does it matter? The form of God, the name of God. Jews have a name for God. Some Christians have a name. You know, and we all have different names for God. Does it matter? What, does it matter? because this, this kind of reminds me of when we were talking with Rabbi mm-hmm. Stephen in the same room, Stephen Buthadab, check out that episode, mm-hmm. and he said, Jews have 72 names for God mm-hmm. and they argue and debate about, you know, all that but ultimately there's a there's a connectivity that happens in that space between you and the divine, or whatever you want to call that, consciousness, awakeness, mm-hmm. spirit, breath, wind, I don't know but then, what do you do with that? That's that's the bigger question, isn't it? Yeah. What, what do you do with that?
1: Yes, I think that's right. So in the Vedic Buddhist world, Buddha repeatedly, in his teachings after he became enlightened, repeatedly talks about God figures. He talks about Brahma, who is essentially like if if you translate that, that's a, a sim very similar concept in Hinduism to God, the Father. Like that's a very very similar concept, and so. But the thing is that Buddhism, yeah, it doesn't deal with the nature of God. It deals with the nature of the mind and change and suffering. And and I think what people talk about in later Buddhism or in American Buddhism or Mahayana Buddhism is like this idea of the Buddha nature that lives inside of each of us. And when we do the practices, we touch something that is divine and inspires us to help other people. And you know, it inspires us to do the right thing and, and take the eightfold path and all that. And when I hear when other people talk about get, being touched by God, having kairos moments with God, it reminds me of those descriptions of Buddha nature. So is that God, the Buddha nature that lives inside of us? Is that quote unquote God? And yeah, what's and who yeah. who even cares what you call it? Does it matter more so, what
0: so you do? Liz used a word for our listeners. She said a Greek word, oh, kairos. 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 Yeah, So in this this word is a moment in time, yes. but there's chronology, and then there's two different words for chronos and kairos. Yes, yeah. and the, the latter, the one that you mm-hmm. used, mm-hmm. is is an awakening. Yes. Yet these awakenings happen all throughout life if right. you're mind if you're mindful.
1: Yeah. you s- yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And Buddha, if Buddha means awake, among other things, yeah, it's mo- like so. Buddha nature would be awake nature when you're completely awake and you're mindful of what's going on inside of you and outside of you.
0: The root, word, the root word here, he says, is bud. 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 <laughs> the, <laughs> the root of word is, is bud. <laughs> Which we talked about before we pressed record how yeah. the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, mm-hmm. wake up, awake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and let yeah. Christ's light shine on you. And then he talks about what that looks like for Christ's light to shine on you. So, again, with this light, that word light, deity, consciousness, awakeness, all that stuff, yeah. what are you going to do with that? How, yeah. you, how are you gonna touch well, people with that?
1: And what are we waking up from? Yep. What's the alternative?
0: The walking dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just our, our human
1: nature. <laughs> like this the small, selfish mm-hmm.
3: yeah, the
2: existence. Headiness.
1: Half-awake, grumpy.
2: And, 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 and it, it might be to you know, look out and see what's going on in the world around you. Get out of yeah. yourself and get out of your your small Clicks and groups and actually see you know mm. there there is well, and this is a nice touch point between the two religions mm. too because you were just talking about how uh, Siddhartha Gautama walks out of the palace and sees all of the suffering of the world and that was you know probably a, a hugely awakening moment obviously for him Yeah. so to be called to mm. be awake I think would be to look out and see we live in Denver and look how many homeless people there are in Denver right that would be an yeah. example of that
0: in Jewish people, rabbis would say you don't pray with your mouth or even your mind. You pray with your feet,
1: your actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. W- Have you ever tried? I don't know if you've ever tried prayer prayer walking. Is that a thing you've ever in tried before? Anybody like here?
1: Walking in a labyrinth, or
0: yeah, a, la- meditation. a labyrinth. A labyrinth is one way to walk, but I'm just saying walking around your neighborhood and just mm-hmm. asking God or self to whatever you want. What being what is it? What is it walking, that I should yeah. be seeing and being aware of in my community? Like you're saying, the homeless. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got so many great quotes here. He said, he says this that uh, is this is Tick. This no, is I'm, Mr. Tick. Here you are, Mr. Tick. Uh, <laughs> so here here's two. He says when we are still. So there's a stillness when even when you're moving. When you're still, looking deeply and touching the source of our true wisdom, we touch the living Buddha and the living Christ in ourselves, and in each person we meet. And then he says, the most precious gift that we, can, uh, that we can offer others is our presence. When our mindfulness embraces those we love, they will bloom like flowers. And if you love someone but rarely make yourself available to him or her, he said, that's not, that's not true love.
1: That's not actual love. And that's very much like the concept yeah. um, in Judaism, like, what is it, zimzum, zimzum? like God exists and when two people are fully present with each other and you create space for each other. Let's just give up all religion. When it does not all, it's all in, everything is everything, guys.
3: Yeah. I do think we've talked about God in several different ways. As God, you know, above, looking down, kind of over, God within. God is the spirit. God is wind. And that, that all the more, every time we have this conversation or that comes up, you realize you can't, we can't, as humans, define God much less limit God. Mm-hmm. All these different things are true. And ways, I think maybe that's why we have all these different ways to worship God because culturally and as people, we just needed different ways to come at something this big.
0: Yeah, I, I remember a family member of mine was asking me about going to church with somebody else in their family. And this other family member was saying, well, you have to, this is what worship looks like and this is why it's important and it was a particular st- particular style. Very charismatic, hands in the air, a lot of dancing moving. And the family member that was talking to me was like, what do I do with this? Because this individual was not expressive with this person's body and hands, you know, you know, because there are certain people that are like, that's weird for them. Others yes. love it. Like I, I actually like to dance. I like I'm a bad dancer, but when I do when I get my praise and worship on, I really like. I'm I'm your contemporary evangelical millennial, even though I'm a Gen Xer. It's the same thing. I like the front row, hands in the air. I want to feel that. Other people, hell no, sorry. Like put me in the back row. Let me read the words and put my hands in my pockets. So <laughs> and so, then I, in, I ended up saying to this person, I go, man, like you're. Uh, this this feels like a lot of pressure. Do you really think that God needs any of that anyway? Like I think it's for us.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's it, like you're saying, all oh, that's for us. God doesn't. need... God is not needed. Now, there's gratitude in that that I think is probably there's an appreciation there. But the different styles, whether you're liturgical, I mean, you go to an Episcopal church, Dylan. Uh, The church that I'm in attendance with, we are conversational eating people. We eat and we talk. That's what we do. So, hey, that makes sense. And then the other church is Thursday nights where I drink and talk. So, hey. (laughs) You have to find, I think, what works for you. And I think it's good. But it is good, though, to then go to these other places where other people are connecting with the divine Mm -hmm. because they're still good in that as well but it might not be your thing
1: well and it's tricky it's tricky because there's also in my experience too a um, it's easy to feel a heightened state or a more you know jubilant or ecstatic or you know a very heightened state say and say that is Buddha nature that is God that is inspiration that is all the good things in life and I think that's part of the human experience but I I think there can be some harm with chasing that feeling.
0: Yeah, it um, becomes an idol again. <clears throat> it
1: becomes an idol, and I don't think humans are really programmed to feel that all that often and if you do like
0: oh, <laughs> what's going you on become here? you become addicted to a almost yeah. like a, a false god.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. there's something to that. And this idea that, you know, it you know, um, and that's I think where f- ideas of faith and faithfulness and discipline and, and some of those other kind of less glamorous parts of having a devotional practice come into play because, yeah, periodically we do connect and we feel it between each other. We feel it, you know, on our own and we feel this kind of coming out of our very limited state. But, you know, but the rest is all really important too, you know. And, and, and doing the hard thing, you know, looking homelessness in the face and mm-hmm. seeing people as human who you have a really hard time being present with. I mean, there's nothing ecstatic or happy about those moments, but it seems like that's what so many of us are feel called to do when we have a devotional practice of some kind. And maybe it's the ecstatic state, or maybe it's the normal states, or maybe it's the disciplined states that allow us to then make some real progress from human to human.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so final thoughts, final questions, something that we didn't get to. We could, we could go on a tangent for about 10 more minutes. If we, That's fine. We can do that. I do have
2: one more thing I wanted to bring up, and, and uh, we talked about this just before we started, that uh, I ran across an article that stated, and I, I didn't read the article. I'm just going to be honest here, but I, <laughs> I read the statement that you can be both a Buddhist and a Christian or practitioner of another religion and there's not a conflict of interest there because, you know, maybe... I think it actually said that Buddhism is not necessarily a religion but a practice. So I'm, I'm curious about that, and I'm completely uneducated on the matter, but it, it is something that I wanted to know more about.
1: What do the Christian, the other Christians around the table think about that notion of, of a Buddhist Christian, a Christian
3: Buddhist? I've, I've heard of Christians with Buddhist practices. Like mindfulness meditation mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, I guess I'd always thought Buddhism was a self-contained religion, and so I, sorry, I'm not sure I, can, I that, that almost makes more sense to me if they'd said like yoga, you know, right. which I see is more of a yeah. practice yeah. So, but, I, but I don't know enough about Buddhism to to speak about that. Then. It really? sounds to me like we've talked about any places where they overlap. And where your practices and your values would would be the same.
1: Do you think there are other Christians who would find that troubling?
3: Mm-hmm. I do. Absolutely. I think I think there's some who really would, and some who wouldn't. And what do you, where do you <laughs> see
1: where do you anticipate that conflict coming arising from?
0: in, in those, places? it threatens the tribe. It threatens the certainty that you will mm-hmm. leave the fold of the one true God. That, mm-hmm. that, that there's a. You put yourself at risk exposing yourself to other Yeah, things. yeah. Uh,
3: like your like little life. eyes, what you see. Because, like, the Buddha
1: is so thought I, of as being like a different god.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I had uh, somebody that I highly respect, somebody that I would, I would love to bring to the podcast someday if they lived in the city or maybe when we can start doing podcasts through the computer. This person did not like me doing yoga at one point in my life.
1: I mean, it's a Hindu
0: yes. practice and went through all the rootedness of it to which I wanted to say well do you do Halloween with your kids you know I mean
1: do but, you celebrate Christmas with the Christmas tree <laughs> as we talked yeah. about in another podcast <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of it comes down to your to to use the word of yoga is your intention and uh, as, a, as a follower of Christ if my if my intention is to look like Christ in the world in the 21st century I think some, yeah there's Probably a lot of Buddhist practices and Buddhist influences. Like, so even you, Liz, like just strip away all the religion and the compartmentalization that we talk about. Just you as a friend, as an individual, somebody that, you know, that, you know, we do community and life with, hey, that's more dangerous, but you know what? It's better. That's better. The relationships are where it's at. So if if I'm gleaning from you and you're gleaning from me of how how to be a better neighbor and to love people at the pubs better and people at work better or if I love my kids better or I trust you with my daughters, you know? I mean, like, hey, whoa, risky, you're going to convert them. <laughs> like, no, Touch I them with the evil <laughs> <blues> <laughs> mindset, yeah. Uh, you, you'd be surprised. Some yeah. people may yeah. Right in the, in the third eye sensor, yeah. Michael, what, if someone is bringing light into the world, I don't care what your religion is. You, you can, you know, mm-hmm. you can influence my children it's fine that's my take as a jesus follower
1: well and I, we talked a little bit about this like is is buddha is, is buddha a god is buddha god is buddha nature god nature Ooh, i mean that's really complicated but i think well and of course it's complicated because there there are buddhists who would say, who treat Buddhism is practiced as a religion in most parts of the world, not just as a practice. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are temples and there are monasteries and and, I mean, what you see in Burma is um, people in the Buddhist religious establishment saying we don't want Muslims in our country because they're not Buddhist enough. So that's that's, you know, religious Mm -hmm. intolerance and tribalism and all Mm -hmm. of the things we see in our country and in other countries, you know. So you're talking about like, how are you practicing Buddhism? Um, how are you looking at Buddhism you know is focusing on your Buddha nature somehow taking away from your worship of Jesus uh, I don't know I mean how I practice Buddhism I would say is not in a conflict with practicing Christianity and if I was looking for a relationship with that God and that Bible like I don't see it a conflict but
0: I'm going to ask you yeah. this question because thank you <laughs> You're, I would have I forgotten in this me. This when, uh, when you were in a Christian community doing mm-hmm. very Jesus-centric practices and even yes. taking communi- communion and I praying. Took communion and praying. Oh, she did all these things. Yes, in a you, small
1: group and we were learning yeah. um, uh, community-based, uh, apostolic work, you mm-hmm. know, from the book of Acts, yeah. going into people's it was, homes. It was
0: very, very, very biblical, very Christian. But you had said this at the very end. And it stuck with me, and I'd love for you to share more about this. Yeah. So you had said that Christianity, in that, in that, in that culture, you ins- you saturated yourself in it for two years, and yeah. it made you a better Buddhist.
1: Made me. It really solidified my belief, in my identity as a Buddhist. And I've yeah. told
0: some people that before, and it it blows minds. <laughs> what does that mean? It made you a better Buddhist. Not a, it didn't convert you. It didn't make you a Jesus follower. Jesus made you a better Buddhist.
1: Yeah, I think that's right, and I guess to explain that I have to talk a little bit more about my my own history with Christianity, which is that as I say I was I was devout, and then um, had some difficult times in my late teens, and um, I had my one atheist friend, of course, who like set me down the slippery slope to being like you know Hopefully there's no God right there, oh I don't think there's dog a hell dog and, dog and now I don't think, like that. yeah now is I it? don't think there's a heaven and now I don't know about Jesus and I don't know about God well I guess I don't really believe in any of it but then I went through a time um, when I was actively angry at Christianity I was learning a lot about colonialism I was learning a lot about you know just people kind of feeling harmed by um, the way they had been brought up in Christianity was really angry at the Spanish missionaries. I was really angry and I felt terrible having been a devout Christian. I pushed that part of my side away and I thought Christianity has nothing to offer and Jesus is dumb and I don't even care. And, um, and then, you know, I started having, that was a long time ago. That was when I was in college and then, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties, um, you know, I still, I'd say, had a fractured relationship with Jesus, but I started having these close friends, Ryan included, who were practicing Christians. And it was hard. I didn't, I think, and maybe I still struggle with this a little bit, I didn't want to have to listen to why they were still a believer in these faith. And... And I struggled with the ways in which our beliefs were different and, and it was a real struggle. But then, you know, my friends had invited me to be a part of this ministry group and I was feeling more and more this like sense of spirituality coming out of this sort of secular humanist belief, the belief in human potential and the human ability to do good and the human ability to practice revolutionary social justice and all this stuff. And, um, but it involved having to really, really be there. With people's love of Jesus and the way that Jesus and God were speaking into their lives, and we'd sit and we'd pray, and it would be like, it was a beautiful thing, because I had my eyes open because i I who am I praying to? I, there's no one out there for me to pray to. Um, but I was there with my friends. and it was painful and sometimes. I mean, sometimes it was beautiful, and I felt you know, the embrasure of community and acceptance and all this. But, you know, I thought to myself, and as I was exploring Buddhism, I thought to myself, "Well, if the Buddha was right and everybody is connected to each other and everything is everything, and I, if I really believe in that and I really want to exchange myself for another person, I ha- can I really embody that practice with my friends? And is relationship the most important thing? I'm kind of like, yeah, I think it is. So the ability and the and the intention to come at Practicing Christian missionary discipleship from a Buddhist framework, I went. Yep, everything is everything. Everyone is everyone. Exchange self for others. Change suffering, pain, mindfulness. So, so that definitely helped solidify my Buddhist identity. There's also some, some other things, um, you know, mindfulness-based mental health stuff that I had experienced. You know, was kind of an entree into Buddhism. All of that, but or, can I just
0: yeah. say one more thing? course. Which
1: is that as I learned about Jesus, I'm like, yeah, Jesus is pretty cool. Like, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm, like, I'm down with Jesus. I'm,
0: I'm great. I remember, I
1: think it was... Yeah, we a, healed, like, our relationship is much better. Yeah.
0: I think yeah. it was <laughs> was it last week you and I were talking, and it wasn't on a podcast, but I said, you know, I was like, Jesus is, like, the best historical figure, and he's so great, don't you think? And you said, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> he's <said>, oh, <laughs> okay.
1: I mean, and now I have a framework of talking about Jesus that went way beyond what I ever learned in Sunday school, or... Mm-hmm. All the stuff we've been talking about here, historical versus spiritual Jesus, everything. You can talk about the historical, Judaic framework of Jesus. I mean, that's that's all pretty cool.
2: So. Yeah. So I there's a famous quote that is, I like your Jesus, or I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. And I, I find myself wondering now, because you you know, Buddhism, when you aren't actually a part of that culture, it's kind of like this thing that you've heard about, and everyone is, you know, they're, they're chanting and meditating, and they're poor, and they're happy, and that's just kind of like the mindset you get of Buddhism growing up in the South where a Buddhist was like, you know, maybe 100 miles away at the closest. So, a thousand. Yeah, right. So, like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, you've kind of opened my eyes in a lot of ways to, like, the humanism behind you know, Buddhists as a whole, like everyone's a human, right? So, yeah. could the same thing be said about the Buddha? I like your Buddha. I don't like your Buddhists. Yeah, maybe. You know? Sure, it's an interesting thought. Hmm.
1: Why not? Buddhists are good. Hate Buddhists, love Buddha. I mean, you know, yeah. I think there's this idea that like we're all walking around being like happy and patient, <laughs> and we're just as effed up, jealous, crappy, behaving badly. Is that anybody else? It's just you know. That- What are you trying to do? You know, like what what doorway are you walking through? Well, thank you, everyone. I appreciate the chance to chat with you, and I'm so glad you came to my house and we get a
0: chance to talk about this. That was fun. Cheers! Cheers! Cheers!